Glad to start off this day with you. Thanks for sharing some of your time. I worked at a public pool when I, well, it's one of the jobs that I had, I guess. Not my first job, second job maybe. So like as a teenager, we had this big, beautiful Olympic-sized pool in Cerritos, California, where actually the synchronized swimming team practiced Mm. when we had the Olympics. Wow. In, in the area in Los Angeles. Yeah. Anyway, really nice pool. I worked there. Was not a lifeguard. But I did have this basic understanding. If you're trying to uh, rescue somebody who's drowning, do not approach them from the front. In fact, if you've never done it before and if you're not trained, it's not something that you should step into and do. Because if you approach them, as you approach them, they're going to push you down and put you underwater in an attempt to save their own life. Hmm. Very Well Health says drowning patients are probably the most dangerous patients to try to rescue. In a panic, drowning patients are likely to claw at rescuers and climb to the surface at all costs. Never attempt a direct rescue of a conscious drowning patient without proper training. Hmm. So it's instinctive when you feel like you're drowning to grasp at anything that you can to push it under just to get an attempt you know, to take a breath. Even if that thing that you're pushing underneath is your rescuer. When we feel like we're overwhelmed, when we feel like we're threatened, it's instinctive to fight to survive. And sometimes the fight is harmful to others, even the people who've come to help us. So if we want to save someone who's drowning, you have to come at it differently. You have to come at them from behind. And I think right now many of us feel overwhelmed. We're over our heads right now. We're just trying to stay alive, but we keep getting pulled under and we feel like we can't breathe. We're drowning. And our instinct to survive is at the cost of other people. You know, we feel like maybe we feel like our rights are being taken away from us and we fear being forced to have a vaccine that we don't want to have. Or maybe we feel like this pandemic won't come to an end until everyone gets vaccinated and other people are refusing to get vaccinated and it keeps us from getting back to normal. And so either way, wherever you are on the end of the spectrum, you feel like you're threatened, your your views are threatened, your life is threatened. And we're just lashing out at anyone who feels differently than we do. And maybe that's natural. But those of us who follow Jesus have surrendered what's natural, our natural reactions, and surrendered our lives to Jesus and to his way of doing things. So we look to the scripture to find out his way. And you're probably thinking, where does it say in the Bible how I'm supposed to respond to the pandemic? Or if I'm supposed to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine or whatever the case may be. You're not going to find those direct answers there. But scripture does say this. Luke 6.32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Jesus is saying, if you only love those who love you, you aren't any different than the world. Everyone loves people who love them. Everyone does good to those who are doing good to them. But Jesus is saying, love those who are difficult to love. That will be different. That will stand out. That'll get people's attention. And John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And right now the culture is discipling us in this way. If you love me, you will completely agree with everything I say and do. Right. That's what the culture is saying right now. But I can love people who are different from me, who think differently from me, who believe differently from me, who have a different worldview from me. 
I can still love those people. I can still be kind to them. It doesn't mean that we have to be on the same page in every single way. That is just a complete redefinition of love. But number one, I can love and I can be kind to every single person I meet. The whole idea that to love me means you agree with everything that I want and everything that I say to be true. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very, it's an immature stance. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's that's what toddlers do, right? They're mm-hmm. like, you know, I want chocolate cake for breakfast. Chocolate cake, chocolate milk, whipped cream, cherry, hot fudge. You know. Yeah, man. And and as a as someone who loves a toddler, you wouldn't give them all of those things out of love for them. Love would actually restrain you from giving them what they want if it's not good for them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just really, it's it's a very immature approach to think, if you love me, you would give me everything that I want. Yeah. We had Shonda Pierce on the show last week, the award-winning comedian, and she had the vaccine, and a friend came to her and said, Shonda, I would like to lead you in a prayer of repentance for having the vaccine. Mm-hmm. You right. know. And Shonda said, I didn't sin against God in having the vaccine. But I also heard her say, between the lines, I heard her say, you know, I didn't condemn my friend. I still love my friend. She's still my friend. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, this, we're in John 13 here where Jesus says, everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I think the question that kind of comes out of that is, can other people see that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way that you're loving others? I mean, whether they're believers or not believers, seekers, whether they believe in the vaccine or they don't believe in the vaccine, you know, people who are pushing their agenda right now are people who are drowning. They are overwhelmed. They're over their heads and they're just trying to survive. And I think it's a natural response to, you know, for them to push us down so they can get a breath. And too often, I think we as disciples of Christ are pushing other people down and attempting to save ourselves and that's natural, but we are called to something higher than what is natural. Yeah, we're called to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And Lord, help me to bring the kingdom to the chaos, not bring more chaos to the chaos. Yeah, yeah so what would it look like this week to approach them differently, to approach others differently, people who are difficult to love, people who have different opinions than us? What would it look like for us to approach them in love and with respect and with kindness and with compassion and with understanding? God, help us to approach people who are hard to love in a loving way today. Loving the one that's hard to love. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe the guy that sits next to you in class or that annoying and rude neighbor. Maybe your ex. Probably someone comes to mind for you. This is where we find out what we're made of as followers of Jesus, loving when it's hard. Brennan Manning writes in his book, Abba's Child, and I'm paraphrasing pretty heavily here, we're to love and feed the hungry. That homeless guy standing at the street corner with the sign. We're to forgive an insult. We're to love even our enemy. What we do for the least of these, we do for Jesus. And I'm sure like me, you're moving in this direction of love. But what if I discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the rudest of all the offenders, is me? What if I discover that I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must be loved? What then? 
writes Brennan Manning. Brennan says, as a rule, our attitude is reversed. There is no longer any question of love or long-suffering. We say to ourselves, you fool, you idiot, and condemn and rage against the criminal within. We hide it from the world. We refuse to admit ever having met this least of the lowly within. But when we accept the truth of what we really are, more sinful than we could imagine and more loved than we could ever dream and surrender it to Jesus, we are enveloped in peace. Whether or not we feel ourselves to be at peace, Brennan says, by that I mean that the peace that passes understanding is not a feeling of peace. If we are in Christ, we are in peace even when we feel no peace. Oh, that's, that's deep. <laughs> that takes some thinking to understand that the peace is ours whether we feel it or not. Really, it is a choice to forfeit you know, what we're struggling with and allow the peace, the feeling of peace to emerge because mm-hmm. it's already in existence. It's a mm-hmm. reality. Yeah, it's it's true no matter what we think or feel. And I do think, yeah, we can, as we think on the truth, as we consider it to be true, whether we feel it or not, the peace eventually will come, but we don't rely on that. And so Jesus has such kindness and understanding of our weaknesses and failures and sins, and it is his kindness that has the power to free us from self-condemnation. Jesus offers you and me a new possibility. He is the Savior who saves us from ourselves. He is the Savior who says, I forgive you, I love you, know my extravagant kindness. And then, yes, Share it with everyone you meet, but by all means necessary, be kind to yourself. The mandate of Scripture of God himself to those who have decided to follow him is to love. Love God and love others. And some people are so easy to love, but not everyone is easy to love. But God's word says, it doesn't say actually love others unless they're crabby, unless they're rude, unless they're needy and difficult. Then you're off the hook. We are called to love God and love everybody always, no matter what. So I came across this article from New Spring Church. This is church in South Carolina, I think it is. But I thought it was really, really good. Five ways to love someone who's hard to love. So I'm going to pass those on to you this morning. The first one is pray often. Every morning, ask God to help you to see the person that's hard to love through his eyes. So when we start to see people the way that God sees people, we begin to treat people the way that God treats people. So we'll find ourselves being more loving if we start to pray into that relationship with that person who's hard to love. And number two, humble yourself. This is from Romans twelve three. None of us is perfect. We can be hard to love. We're that person that somebody else is praying for in the morning. So think of how you'd want to be treated in this situation and treat the other person the same way. And I think that's great because... Pride keeps me from loving. And so humbling myself is where God opens the door to pour in his love. But my pride will always get in the way of my loving. And so that's a great point. Just this morning, I was on my way to work praying about a situation where, you know, someone and I see something differently. And I was like, Lord, help me to surrender my own wants in this situation and to be able to see what you're doing and what you're up to. You know, not to have to get my way, but just to be obedient to how you're leading. Mm -hmm. To see it through their eyes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I didn't even go that far as to ask to pray it to see it through their eyes. I just want to know what God was up to. <laughs> that's a good that's a good step. Well, I'm helping you get a little bit further, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Number three, learn their story. I tell you what, every single person you encounter has got a backstory, and we're often just really quick to judge and to blame instead of taking time to understand what's behind the behavior, right? Like what's really going on really? Mm-hmm. And I think that if we did that, if we took the time to be inquisitive and learn people's story instead of being defensive when they act like a jerk or they're crabby or they're rude, whatever, we can probably have more compassion for that person and their circumstances. The fourth one is to forgive often. This is so good. It's really hard to forgive someone who's hurt us, but not forgiving someone causes us to become bitter and angry. So we can't love them well from that place. But if we make a choice to forgive everyone and experience the freedom and peace that God promises us, I I think we're going to find ourselves feeling free to love. It's almost like the the bitterness or the anger is like a restraint from being able to lean into loving people. Mm -hmm. So if we forgive often and we make a habit of forgiveness, regular forgiveness, we're more open, more free to be able to love. And I think that, you know, if, if someone offends us in some way, shape or form, or even, you know, sins against us, I will often, you know, think about it and pray about it. And, and I will, you know, if I'm still bothered by it the next day, then, then I'll go and talk to that person. Mm. You know, sometimes I can just, oh gosh, let it go. They're just human, but sometimes it really hurts. And if I'm still bothered by it the next day, I know that I need to go to that person and talk to them and say, Hey, this really hurt me. You know, forgiving somebody else is not just winking at it and letting them off the hook, but it's just saying, you know what, what you did, what you said, it really hurt, but I am, but I forgive you for it. Yeah. And if they, if they don't say, well, I, I really messed up against you, that's going to be harder, but we still need to choose to forgive. Which is a perfect segue into number five in this article that I was reading, which is set healthy boundaries. Cause I think so often we think that forgiveness means I forgive you, you know, I forgive you at 9 a.m., I forgive you at 10 a.m., I forgive you at 11 a.m., which is true, but we forget or we don't realize that we do need to set healthy boundaries in relationships. It's not about becoming a doormat. Forgiveness of somebody else is not becoming their doormat. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that we set healthy boundaries. There's a friend of mine who has a lot of needs in his life and he's had a lot of suffering in his life. And, you know, if, if he had his way, we would talk for a couple hours every day on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, I'm not able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I have, I have a boundary there. You know, we can talk at such and such a time. Right. And that's been really hard for him, but you know what? It's just, you've got to, you can't be, you can't be the Messiah. You know, we can love people who have great needs, but... Some people could take up our our entire week, really. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that all five of these are ways that we can be freed up, really, to be able to love the people who are hard to love in our lives. So here they are again, five things, five ways to love someone who's hard to love. Pray for them. Humble yourself. Learn their story. Forgive often. And set healthy boundaries. Loving the one that's hard to love. That's what we're talking about this week on Perry and Chana Mornings. And 
Here's one from the Bible, a story from the Bible that just kind of blows your mind. It's from the book of Hosea. The Lord had Hosea, the prophet, marry a prostitute named Gomer. And he took her as his wife, but Gomer kept wandering into the arms of other lovers. She was unfaithful. And yet the Lord tells Hosea to keep going after her again and again and to bring her back home. In Hosea 3.1, it says, The Lord said to me again, Gomer has many lovers, but you must continue loving her. Do this because it is an example of the Lord's love for Israel. He continues to love them, but they continue to turn to other gods. So this was, this was a real-life way of showing God's people how much they were loved, even though they went after other lovers, other gods, other idols. And he's using Hosea's marriage as an example. This is really, really hard, and it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around it, why the Lord would, would make it so difficult for Hosea. But he did. And, you know, this is not a, a command for every single follower of Jesus, you know, that if your spouse has been unfaithful, this is what God is telling you to do. I don't see it in that way. Although we have heard stories where a forgiveness for unfaithfulness is, is extended and, and there is restoration. Absolutely. But this was God's way of just showing us how much he loves us. Mm-hmm. Francine Rivers has written a book uh, based on the book of Hosea. Okay. It's called Redeeming Love, and it is my most favorite book of all time. I can't even tell you how many times I've read this book. And the first part of the book is really hard to get through because it has the backstory, um, Gomer's backstory. But it is just a phenomenal book. And you find yourself thinking, you know, my goodness, Gomer, like this man has been nothing but good to you. He has been so faithful and so loving and so kind. And yet her own struggle with her identity and who she is and what she feels worthy of Mm. keeps her rejecting this beautiful, perfect, faithful, good mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. and behaving in a way that she feels is more appropriate to her identity. And it is, it's such a beautiful illustration of God's perfect love for us, how unloving we are and how unlovely we are and can be and how God just relentlessly just keeps coming for us again and again and again. Mm. He'll never give up on us. And it says at the end of Hosea, the Lord says, I will forgive them. I will forgive my people for leaving me. I will show them my love without limits because I have stopped being angry. And that's just so encouraging. And, you know, there's unfaithfulness in my heart towards God because I don't love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's my heart I want to, but I know I fall short of that. But he continues to love me, and, you know, maybe you can identify with that. And you're thinking, well, why doesn't God just just kind of crush me? Well, he doesn't crush us because he sent his son to be crushed for us, to take the punishment that we deserve for going after other lovers. That's how much he loves us. It goes even beyond this example in Hosea Yeah, that he sent his son to take the judgment we deserve so that we can have this relationship with him. 